Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the news and issues shaping the state. In this episode, we'll talk to an owner of a child care center about the staffing challenges the pandemic has given to his business. Then, we will look at the challenges Missouri faces in boosting entrepreneurship and innovation. My name is DC Benincasa, and I am once again joined by my co-host Ian Laird. Hey DC, how are you this week? I'm doing pretty well. With the Super Bowl concluding the NFL season Sunday, I'm not going to lie. I'm a pretty huge football fan, but I'm looking forward to having a little bit more free time this weekend without waves of football games. Yeah, both of our teams, my Seattle Seahawks and your Cleveland Browns, didn't have the best seasons. But here's to hoping they'll turn it around next year. Yeah, definitely don't want to spend too much time thinking about the way my team finished this season. You ready to jump into this episode? Sure. As always, we'll start with headlines. Missouri is planning to announce an official end to the pandemic phase of the COVID-19 public health crisis. Internal meeting notes from state public health officials suggest that the state will begin treating the virus as endemic in mid-March. However, state spokesperson said there is no set timeline for this shift. This new designation would lead to a few changes, including the end of contact tracing, daily COVID-19 case reports, and positivity rate reporting. Some accused Spire of fear-mongering when the St. Louis gas utility announced that the shutdown of its STL pipeline could leave customers with gas outages during the winter. A recent investigation by state utility regulators concluded that Spire's comments created unnecessary confusion and panic among its customer base. The debate was based around the decision by a panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals last summer to revoke Spire's certificate to operate a pipeline that it had used to transport gas since 2019. The Missouri Public Service Commission won't pursue a formal complaint against the company, though, on the basis that there wasn't sufficient evidence Spire had deliberately disseminated false or misleading information. The parent company of Kansas City Amusement Park's Worlds of Fun and Oceans of Fun rejected a $3.4 billion acquisition offer from SeaWorld this week. Cedar Fair Entertainment's rejection comes even with financial struggles in recent years. On Wednesday, the Ohio-based company reported 2021 revenue of about $1.3 billion, an almost 9% drop from before the pandemic. As the inaugural season for Major League Soccer expansion side St. Louis SC nears, the team has an official name for its home stadium. The new 22,500-seat stadium in Midtown St. Louis that the club will play in will be called Centene Stadium. Health insurance company Centene has signed a 15-year naming rights deal with the club. The deal signals an investment by the company in the St. Louis area after some previous comments from executives worried local officials that Centene was thinking of moving its headquarters elsewhere. And St. Louis-based Catholic nonprofit health system Ascension is partnering with the North Carolina lab operator. LabCorp will run Ascension's labs in 10 states and also purchase some of Ascension's laboratory assets for $400 million. The partnership will expand LabCorp's services in several states, and in exchange, Ascension will have access to the lab operator's diagnostics, technology, and new trials and treatment options. For our first story, we're going to look at the obstacles the pandemic has thrown at childcare centers. What's the biggest challenge? Well, like many businesses, the biggest challenge is staffing shortages, an issue that predates the pandemic within childcare facilities. Childcare centers have historically high turnover rates because pay is relatively low and there are few benefits. And how has the pandemic made things harder for daycare staffing challenges? 
Like any other business, these facilities are navigating a post-pandemic labor market in which workers are pushing for more benefits, flexible hours, and higher pay. And childcare centers often can't offer the pay and benefits that other businesses can. Also, it can just be hard for childcare center owners to staff their businesses each day when their workers are forced to quarantine. Around 80% of childcare providers say they are experiencing a staffing problem, according to a July 2021 survey from the National Association for the Education of Young Children. Sounds like this isn't a problem that's going away. Nope. It's something daycares will continue to try to solve and work around. Missouri Business Alert's Kaylee Yanagita got to talk to a childcare center owner in Columbia about how he's navigating the challenges the pandemic has thrown at him. Here's Kaylee. Two years into the COVID-19 pandemic, Shane Wyatt, the owner and director of End of the Rainbow Child Care Center in Columbia, has not lost his passion for taking care of children. Wyatt has worked at End of the Rainbow for more than a decade and has served as the center's director since 2016. He bought the business at the end of 2020 from its previous owner. Today, there are 130 children enrolled in the daycare, from infant through pre-kindergarten. On a recent afternoon at the daycare, Wyatt discussed his experience with the pandemic. Thank you for being here today. No problem. Happy to sit down and chat with you for a couple minutes. So as a child care worker, um, what are a few of your biggest concerns regarding COVID-19 and working in this field? Well, I mean, obviously, um, children getting very sick whenever it comes to COVID. Um, But in our experience, and this is just our experience, um, we've had very, very, very few children um, test positive for COVID. And even in the circumstances that they do, um, they've had very mild symptoms, um, maybe a high fever for a day or two, um, but nothing very significant. On the other hand, we've had staff who have been confirmed positive for COVID, and they have, some of them have been very, very sick for multiple days, and others um, have tested positive and not been that sick either. So, um, but yeah, I mean, definitely wanted to make sure the kids are safe, Um, not just when it comes to COVID, but when it comes to all health issues, because um, sicknesses and, you know, germs and everything like that are definitely always spread throughout child care centers. Um, that's just the nature of the business, not just here, but anywhere. So keeping children safe, healthy, um, everything like that is obviously a top priority. So like when working with any like unvaccinated population, you may put yourself at risk for catching COVID-19. So do you have any fears surrounding this, especially when it comes to working with children? Um, no. No, I do not personally have any fears about it. I guess just because we personally haven't seen um, anyone be severely affected by it um, just here. Um, so no, I would not say I have any fears when it comes to vaccinated or unvaccinated. Um, obviously, the, the majority of our children are not able to get vaccinated yet just due to their age. Um, we do have some older children in our pre-K room who are vaccinated. Um, and I would say out of our staff, I would say probably 80% um, of our staff is vaccinated. About 20% are not. So currently, childcare is facing a labor shortage and like due to low wages and stuff like that. Has this impacted you? So um, all businesses are facing staffing shortages right now, whether it's um, manufacturing businesses, whether it's childcare, whether it's restaurant, um, food industry. It doesn't matter what type of business owner you are right now. Um, there's staffing shortages. There's no, I mean, everyone needs more people. Um, so we have faced staffing shortages since the moment I started here in 2011. It's just part of it. Um, 
COVID has made it more difficult um, just because you have staffing shortages and then in addition to that now you have people that are required or supposed to be staying out because of COVID or guidelines or being quarantined and everything like that. So that just intensifies your staffing shortages. Um, if you have two or three full-time positions you need to fill and you're constantly piecing those together and then you add in two more people who are in quarantine, um, it just makes the schedule very, very, very hard. So, um, But staffing shortages are not just due to COVID. I mean, they've always been around in our industry and they always will be. It's just part of it. How has like your interactions with parents changed like since the beginning of the pandemic? I don't really know if the interactions have changed. I mean, I've, yeah, I don't know, that's kind of a tricky question. I don't think my interactions have changed, just different dialogue. Um, I've had to have a lot more open, um, honest, transparent conversations with, um, you know, COVID and our policies and, and what needs to be done and what we can do to get by and um, everything like that. So I don't think the number of conversations I have has changed, just probably the dialogue. Um, and how in-depth we go with them and how they feel and how I feel about it and everything like that. So there's been some good conversations since COVID began with some of these parents. I can tell you that for sure. No, I can imagine. It's been two years at this point, so lots different. I can now. tell you people are for sure on the trajectory of it is what it is mentality and yeah. this isn't going anywhere and whatever, do whatever. Um, because people were on high alert, very sensitive in the beginning, very... I don't know if paranoid is the right word to use, but you can definitely feel that that shift to kind of just like, whatever, we got to live our life, and they're just not as concerned with it as they once were. Thank you again for taking the time to talk to me. No problem, my pleasure. While we talk a lot about the challenges the pandemic has given to workers and businesses, we sometimes forget about the challenges the pandemic has posed for parents and childcare centers. So I'm glad Kaylee had the chance to dig a little deeper into that issue. Yep, and with that, we are headed to a quick break, but we will be back with more Business Brief. Are you feeling stuck in your entrepreneurship journey? The Columbia Entrepreneurship Alliance can help. Our new Ask Us Anything portal is a way for new and aspiring business owners to ask questions to our community's experts and experienced entrepreneurs. Ask any business-related question for free through video, audio, or text. Visit startmo.biz that's startmo.biz for more information. We look forward to helping you get started and thrive in your entrepreneurship journey. For our next story, we are going to jump into a new report assessing the climate for innovation and entrepreneurship in Missouri. The report was released this week by the Missouri Technology Corporation. What's that? The Missouri Technology Corporation, or MTC, is a public-private partnership created to promote entrepreneurship and spur growth of new and emerging tech companies in Missouri. The MTC partnered with research firm Techonomy Partners to conduct a statewide investigation on how to support entrepreneurship and innovation. What did the report find? It highlighted the state's shortcomings in entrepreneurship, as well as strategies to fix them. The report's main goal is to boost economic growth by increasing opportunities for traded sector firms to grow and prosper in Missouri. What are traded sector firms, and why does the report focus on them? Traded sector firms are companies that serve customers and markets beyond their local residents and businesses. 
For instance, take a steel plant that ships their products all over the U.S., or a software company that sends their programming throughout the West Coast. These businesses bring in revenue, while they also buy from local suppliers and their workers buy from other local businesses. Economists estimate that traded sector industries have a job multiplier more than twice as high as local serving businesses, according to the report. That makes sense. Businesses with larger geographic markets are able to bring in more revenue. What does the difference between economic impact of traded sector firms and non-traded look like here in Missouri? In the last decade, most net new jobs created in Missouri were because of traded sector companies. Traded sectors accounted for 61% of the total net new jobs from 2010 to 2020, according to the report. So the organization really wants to focus on creating strategies that especially boost traded sector businesses. What are some of the challenges the report described? One issue the report talked about is business funding. In Missouri, the amount of risk capital invested in businesses has grown in the last decade, but the number of business deals has declined. This means Missouri investors have shifted to providing large investments to more established companies and moved away from early-stage investments. And if businesses aren't receiving enough investment early on, it's a recipe for disaster for many innovative ideas and products. Here's Kansas City entrepreneur Brian Shannon on the importance of early-stage funding. One of the frustrating components for entrepreneurs is, you know, having an idea or a business that you're really trying to get off the ground. And sure, there are great uh, components and grant programs that will help you in the proof of concept stage. And there are very well-intentioned uh, uh, funds and, and uh, fund managers and, and venture capital funds that will have a conversation with you uh, when you are getting ready to raise a decent-sized price round. Uh, but navigating that, that bridge over the valley of death, as most entrepreneurs know it, is not one that's, that's easy, right? It's a, it's a really uh, critical problem that exists in this particular ecosystem. And so being able to deploy greater amounts of risk capital into uh, the ecosystem, I think, uh, creates a win, not only for the entrepreneur, but for the investment community as well. How does the MTC increase capital for early stage businesses? Well, it wants to provide greater levels of early-stage investment capital, including incentivizing angel investment, some of the earliest-stage startup investments, and providing additional state funding for small business grants. That makes sense. What about some of the other challenges addressed in the report? The report also detailed the need to attract more Missourians into entrepreneurship, especially in underserved minority communities and among women. There are often opportunities to invest and create new companies that go unnoticed because they simply aren't marketed to those groups. How does the report plan on changing that? The MTC proposes funding internship programs for startups, increasing entrepreneurship education in schools, and creating an advertising campaign that celebrates successful entrepreneurs as role models. Maria Myers is the founder of KC SourceLink, an entrepreneurship resource provider based in Kansas City that also advocates for the MTC. She says hearing stories of business success about people with a similar background is important. I've spent some time with uh, middle school girls talking about entrepreneurship and STEM. And when you dig into that research, um, one of the biggest indicators if a girl will go into one of these fields is what the women on her street do for a living. Um, so I think these inspire um, actions give us the opportunity to prototype what it's like to be an entrepreneur, 
to gain some skills and to have it as an option um, as we move forward. I'm also interested in the people that don't know they're going to be entrepreneurs, but they're working in a field where they see a problem um, and they're uniquely qualified to solve it. So I think seeing some of these stories uh, can maybe give them the push to go try it for themselves. Got it. Are there any other challenges the report mentioned? Yep. The last one we are going to cover has to do with Missouri's research opportunities. The state's higher education institutions are conducting research, but the report says there's not sufficient infrastructure and support to help turn researchers' findings into profitable businesses. I think I'm following you, but could you give an example of this? Of course. Nadia Shakur is a researcher at the Donald Danforth Plant Science Center in the St. Louis area, but she's also formed a startup with technology she used as a researcher. She says she's faced a plethora of challenges in starting her business. However, you know, there's this additional wild card of um, scientists as CEOs. Um, you know, we have great ideas and technologies, but have very limited ideas and strategies on how to uh, successfully um, commercialize the technologies and take it from, you know, the bench into, you know, a, some sort of a commercial setting. So um, kind of passing over that or, or connecting that, you know, academic university research to business is something um, that needs support services, you know, not only the funding, which is which is really important for technology, um, you know, that, that non-dilutive sources of capital, particularly for kind of tech ideas, um, is really critical to sort of vet out you know, what works, what doesn't work um, without, um, you know, fear of losing funding or, you know, a larger kind of commitment. I understand. So Shakur is saying we need entrepreneurship support and training to help researchers that want to use their work to start their own business. Yep, exactly. The report proposes an increase in partnerships with research institutions and companies around the state in order to develop working groups around key industries related to Missouri's research and development. Okay, so where does it go from here? Well, they're just recommendations, so we will have to wait and see whether these proposals are ever instituted by the state and its industries. Time to wind things down again with our words of the week. Do you want to go first this time? A little bit of a curveball there, switching the order up a bit. Figured we could keep the listeners on their toes. What's your word this week? I chose advertising. Does this have to do with the Super Bowl? It does. The Super Bowl is the mecca of advertising for most companies. Having a Super Bowl ad requires companies to pour millions of dollars into their campaigns. What's the context of these commercials here in Missouri specifically? Well, Anheuser-Busch is one of the most recognizable names not just in beer but across all industries. And they have typically held a pretty strong grip on Super Bowl advertising. Yeah, that makes sense. I can think of their commercials with the Clydesdale horses. Those always caught my attention. Exactly, but in recent years they have fallen off a bit. That trend continued with this Super Bowl as most ad ratings, including those from the USA Today ad meter, failed to place a single one of Anheuser-Busch's six ads in the top ten for the game. What's been the cause behind this recent slump? Some have attributed the shift to the company being run by new owners that are more interested in efficiency than marketing. The result is a lot of money being spent on ads that might not be nearly as successful as the company would hope given their price tag. Your turn now. What's your word? Mine is actually two words. Safe haven. What are those? A safe haven is any place that's open to any homeless person who needs it with 24-7 availability. They provide a valuable service, especially in the winter. But the last true safe haven in St. Louis closed this week because of money constraints and space. 
Who've been running these safe havens? Well, it's supposed to be the city. It put aside $43 million in funds for homeless and supportive services, but it hasn't used any of that to set up new safe havens. Earlier this month, the city backed out of negotiations with the local day shelter during the final steps of approving funding for a 24-7 safe haven. So instead, these shelters have been organized and run by small groups of volunteers and their private funds. Interesting. It'll be important to keep watch on whether those city funds start pumping into new homeless shelter projects. Yep, and with that, we are running out of time, so it is now time for our closing thought. For that, let's send it back over to Shane Wyatt, the child care center owner you heard from earlier. Here's what he wishes people would understand about his business. It's a lot more than meets the eye, I would say. Um, I would say maybe people, outsiders that, aren't, that don't work here or they don't have children here, they might view the business as kind of a small scale in a sense. And we are a small business, but um, it is a lot. Um, it is a lot. We have, you know, we don't have 20 or 30 kids or even 50 or 75 kids. You know, we have... 130 children here every single day, um, all year round. Um, I manage and lead and employ over 40 people between full and part-time teachers. So um, it is it is a lot to take in on a daily basis. So definitely more than meets the eye from a business model and kind of simplicity of it for sure. Well, that just about wraps things up. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing the music for this episode. For my co-host, Ian Laird, assistant producers Kaylee Anagita and Christian McDonald, and editors Kaylee DeRook, Jack Knowlton, James Marshall, and Wicker Perlis, I'm DC Benincasa. This has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.